So we're going to be looking at it under the title, Taming the Wildest here uh, tonight. And imagine if you got a, a gift of an animal like that, a lion, but not a, a lion that had been domesticated, but one that's come out of Africa uh, from the wild, and you've got it, and it's your task to have it in your back garden and try to tame it, uh, so that after a while you'll be able to do what the boy is doing and not have your head ripped off you. And I wonder what you think your chances would be of succeeding in that. Well, the Bible tells us it is easier to tame a wild animal like that than it is to tame the tongue. No tongue. It's within the human power to tame. The tongue is the most difficult thing of all. And one of the reasons why I'm thinking about this tonight is we're going to be thinking about men's ministry and men reaching out to men. And one of the crucial things of that is when men come in among us, they should see within us people who use their tongues in the right way. Uh, the speaker who in the House of Commons, uh, he's been trying his best this past week to keep the members of parliament in check. Uh, all the best for him. He's got a challenging job there uh, indeed. But he talks about trying to produce a better atmosphere in that chamber, and particularly as people watch in. And really within our church, I don't believe we have a bad atmosphere within the church. But like everything, it could always be better. So that if people come in, not only will they say mixing with men like us is okay, they'll see it something very attractive, very warm, something that's very wholesome. And one of the, the benefits of teaching to a group of men in the church at the one time is that when we come onto this teaching, we're all hopefully going to seek to work at this together at the same time and seek to encourage and support each other. And if we just read it in our own devotions and we're the only one at that moment trying it, it's a, it is a, even more of a challenge. But together, we should be encouraged about the use of our tongues. And it is, I've got to say, as I've prepared this, it is so, so challenging. So don't, uh, for one moment, uh, think that I'm speaking here as a minister who has it cracked. Sinclair Ferguson who I regard as one of the, the best Bible teachers there is. He, he shares a story of how he did a talk on the tongue uh, when he was at college, and very much about the evils of the tongue and being in control of our tongues. And then he went, I can't remember if it was an insurance company or mortgage company, he went home from the college and rang and gave a real mouthful to the person who was at the other end of the phone. And boy, did he feel lousy after that. He was greatly rebuked. At that. And I've got to say, it's much easier to preach on this subject than it is, of course, to live it out. So as we think about the taming the wild, the first thing we want to see is the, the power of the tongue. And uh, we're thinking here of James 3. If you read that chapter, there's a tremendous story at the beginning of that chapter 11 in The Disciplines of a Godly Man about four journalists in Denver in the United States. And on a Saturday night, they went to the train station, and the idea was to catch some famous person so they maybe could get a bit of a story for their headline for the next day. And four journalists met to do that, and they tried to get it, and there were no celebrities turned up, and so they were stuck without a headline, without a story for the next day. And they met together over a drink, and as they thought, they said, why don't we make something up? 
And if we make something up and it appears in each of our papers, then people will believe it. Well, it says we can't do anything local because if we do it locally, it can be discredited. So let's do something overseas. So they decided to do something in China and about the Great Wall of China and how the Chinese government were going to use American contractors to remove part of the Great Wall of China. So they thought this would be harmless enough and they did get this story. And so of the four journalists, three of them, one didn't, but three of them went to the story. It was just there in the local papers in Denver. Some other papers in America then picked up on the story, and the, some of the big papers on the East Coast picked up on it, and the story eventually made its way to China. And China at that time was in a very difficult situation. There was a great anti-West sentiment just beginning to boil over, and I don't think this story caused it, but it certainly added to the anti-Western feeling. And shortly after that, you had the, the Boxer uprising, awful lot of attacks and everything Western in China. Many, many uh, missionaries were killed, so much so that indeed different governments had to send in a force of 12,000 soldiers to protect Western in, uh, interests, and many people died. Now, I'm not saying the story caused it, but some of the missionaries in China said it certainly added to it and made things worse. So here we think of this the part. Four men meeting in a pub in Denver in America, making up a story about something on the other side of the world. It would add to a terrible situation that would cost lives. If we think of the power of the tongue, it also mentions the book of the likes of Hitler in the 1930s Germany and the power of his rhetoric and what the German people under him went on to do. On the other side, we can think of Churchill and the tremendous influence that he had and the power of his speech in helping to keep a nation together in order to fight against that. So what people say, what comes out of our tongues is something very powerful indeed. And what we say, it can have far more impact than we ever realize. Now, here in James 3, we have a number of pictures to get across the power of the tongue. First of all, we have the, the control of the bit in verse 3. A horse is a very powerful creature. If you have had much experience of a horse up close, particularly in a building, a very confined space, you begin to realize what a powerful animal the horse is. And that's why it was such a tremendous weapon of war. In many ways, the army that had the most horses would be the army that would win. This very powerful creature, though, can be controlled by a small metal bit within its mouth. Uh, I used to love as a, a little boy, we were great fans of show jumping. Uh, our house was divided between Harvey Smith and David Broom fans. And it used to amaze me, particularly Harvey Smith, uh, when they were going against the clock, and he would get the horse, go over a fence, and where others would go around the next fence, he would cut the corner. And how he could get that horse to turn so sharply through the control of the bit. A great, powerful animal, and yet controlled by something so small. The second picture then is the power of the rudder in verse 4. The rudder on a boat, and you give it a, a great big boat. Compared to the size of the boat, the rudder 
is relatively small. And yet, a multitude of people, where they will end up, will depend in the direction that that rudder chooses to take them, being controlled by the pilot. And then we have the destruction from a spark in verse 5, talking about how even a great fire uh, or a good forest can be set on fire by even a single spark. And I think last uh, spring, summertime, the fires in the morns, and just how very little can start it. Uh, I was looking up at the fire of London in 1666, and that fire, 13,200 houses, 87 churches were burnt in that fire, along with many other buildings. And it began with just a, in a little bakery in Pudding Lane. And that not too many people believe killed, I think it's maybe single figures, but such devastation, so many left homeless. Or the, the book refers to the great fire of Chicago in 1871, an area of four miles by one mile was burnt, 17,500 buildings and 300 people dead. How did it start? They believed a, a bar known by Mr. and Mrs. O'Leary. It's believed that possibly the cow knocked over a lamp. And the result of that, 17,500 homes burnt, 300 people dead. So a little spark, a little fire can cause so much. And the message, the tongue, can be like that as well. It's like the little bit that controls the horse, the rudder that controls the boat, the little spark that does so much harm. The tongue is like that. Its influence is far greater than its size. It speaks there in verse 2 about how the control of the body is affected. You see this, the control of the body, it says, for we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we can keep our tongue in check, then we are people of self-control. If we can keep our tongue in check, it will affect what else we do in life. I think I've mentioned this before, when the fellow from CAP a number of years ago was over, Christians Against Poverty, and one of the things they found, when they got people disciplined in their use of money, it had tremendous repercussions for the rest of their lives. They became disciplined in so many other areas also. And if we are disciplined in our tongues, our lives will be so much more disciplined. So that's the, the power of the tongue. But then let's think about the sins of the tongue and uh, list some of them here. And even as I finished the list, I realized there's others I could have added as well. First of all, there's dishonesty, the most obvious one. Uh, Proverbs 12 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Why does God hate lies? Because God is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. That's why he can't stand it. God is light. He can't stand anything that is, belongs to darkness and lies belong to the darkness. We live in an age of spin. We live in an age of exaggeration. And while maybe we will not do downright lies, which I hope not, how often are we tempted to spin or exaggerate to make us maybe look a little bit better? 
the Christian should be known for their honesty. The second thing is crudeness. Ephesians 5 and 4 says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And it's so important that if we're in a situation where such things are going on that we have no part of it, at times maybe we need to leave company where that is happening. But it should not be a part of our lives. And yet so often Christians can get into this and be coarse, be crude in how they speak. If we're not sure whether we should say something or not, let's ask, would Jesus say this? Would Jesus say this? We're made in the image of God. Part of salvation is that we're restored into the image of Christ. Coarseness and crudeness should not be part of it. Thirdly, there's flattery. Proverbs says, a flattering mouth works ruin. And it also says, a person who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for him to step into. Uh, flattery might make people think well of us, but ultimately it doesn't do people good. Uh, the best description of flattery is saying something to people that you would never say behind their back. So, those comments we say to them about how wonderful or great they are, those are things we really would not say behind their back because we don't believe it. We shouldn't be saying it. We need to be people of honesty. Gossip is the next one. Uh, Paul condemns those who are idlers going about from house to house, not only idlers but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not say. Now, of course, gossip is something that everybody else does and something that we don't do. When we share things, it is right and proper the things we share, but gossip is something that others do. James 4.11 says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. It's not even about lying. It's about saying things that will harm a person's reputation. It can be the truth. It can be 100% the truth. But that does not mean we should say it. Is it loving what we're saying? Is it necessary what we're saying? <laughs> Isn't this something we all know? We've heard this before. But how long will it be before we engage in it? The fifth one is criticism. Think of the children of Israel leaving Egypt on their way to the promised land, how they constantly grumbled and complained uh, against Moses. Uh, but ultimately, their complaints against Moses were complaints against God. And Numbers 14, for example, they do it, and are in danger of being wiped out by the Lord. A, a critical spirit. Now, there are times where we share things which are constructive in a right situation, but I would suggest that that is rare. That is rare. John Wesley shares a story of a, tells a story of one time there's a woman who was always critical, and she was critical about the length of his ties. It's probably his old fashioned wee ties, there's a couple of things on. And she was critical of the length. So he asked for a pair of scissors, and he gave the scissors to the woman and says, Right. 
cut the tie to length that you want. And she went ahead and did it. And then he says, give me back the scissors because I want to cut a wee bit off your tongue because it's as annoying, as obnoxious to me. And that, and I think he got his point across. Another occasion, a woman says to him, I have a, a talent for saying things as they are, for saying the truth. And Wesley's reply is, I don't think the Lord would mind if that was a talent that was buried in that. So criticism, and that. criticism can totally knock the wind out of people. One of the things I have found, not always, but often, uh, criticism is often done by people who are maybe not doing very much in that. And I, I love the quote from D.L. Moody, that when he was being criticized, he says to a man, I prefer the way I'm doing it to the way that you are not. I'm a great believer within our church, within our organizations, that uh, not that there's a place for session to guide in that, of course there is, but I'm a great believer that our organizations and our leaders that are getting on with the work should deserve, a, at the very least, the benefit of the doubt and are in a better position to guide and make decisions than people looking outside. Criticism. And these things, you just think of these things, uh, just the impact they have on a fellowship when people are like this. It just knocks the wind out of people. The next one is diminishment. The putting of other people down. Uh, the Pharisee and the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector he was doing that. He, the reason why he was doing that was he was wanting to lift himself up. And so much of these sins of the tongue are about lifting ourselves up by putting others down. And he says, Lord, I thank you that I do all these wonderful things. And I thank you. I'm not like that tax collector. So he was being put down so that the Pharisee would feel better about himself, which shows that there was something lacking in his life. Now, this can be done subtly. It can be done just by maybe not giving the, the thanks and the praise that people deserve for what they do, which is helpful to us and to others. Uh, you should know, as for those of you who, are, who are, have been parents that, uh, with young children, you know there's children need encouragement. And you know they bring you a, a painting, a picture, <laughs> And uh, my mother-in-law was very good at giving advice. She says, uh, her being a school teacher in her life, uh, the thing that you don't say to them, what is that? Or try and guess and get it wrong uh, and call it a, a house when it's a car. Uh, Tell me about it, she says. And that, so that you can figure out a wee bit about what is in the picture and that gives some encouragement. And you know our children need that. They need that encouragement. They don't need us all putting them down and diminishing what they're doing. They need encouragement. They need to be checked when they go wrong, but they need loads of encouragement in their lives. And we all need encouragement. Our leaders within our organizations, it's challenging in these modern days to be a leader. Our leaders need encouragement. Or in days of COVID, there's more and more needs for encouragement. So last thing we need to do is diminish and put down. We should really encourage and appreciate what people do. And the final sin just to mention here is that of worldliness. And worldliness, 
I'm going to define it as talking without thinking about God. Talking without God in the picture. It doesn't mean that every conversation you have has to be about God or God even has to be mentioned. But as you talk, you're being aware that you're talking as a child of God, a redeemed brother of Christ, and you're doing it under the gaze of God. And you're doing it as a witness to the Lord. So it's not just about what you say, it's how you say things. In Colossians 3 and 2, it says, our thinking should be in things above. And likewise, our talking should be done with our mind on above, being aware that we're being a witness for the Lord. Cherif worked when we lived in Balamina. Uh, she worked in Next. And Next was always a very busy shop. And sadly, uh, sometimes there are people who come in who are Christians, and the way they would talk to members of staff was horrendous. And then the see Cherif, uh, and that, this is before, is in Brookside. There's no Brookside guilty of that. I'm not saying the guiltless otherwise. But some would spy Cherif because I'd served in their church. And then they just changed like that. And we're so nice to her. And it's a bit like it talks here, the, the salt and the fresh water coming from the same uh, source. Just not right. Certainly not right. We need to be talking to people and the way we deal with people or conversations, uh, particularly when we're frustrated, always of that mind that we're under the gaze of the Almighty and a witness for Christ. Uh, one of the things about being a minister in a a relatively small village is I'm aware, uh, no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm out with a dog or whatever, go into a shop, I'm aware that far more people know who I am than I know who they are. Uh, particularly most parents who have children in the four towns will all be aware of me. Uh, most uh, Carl serves and that I do end up doing some speaking at it and different things. So there's so many people know who I am. And I'm so aware that and when I go out, I always try aware of that. They know who I am. I'm representing Brookside Church. Even if I'm taking uh, the dog for a walk, I'm representing the church. But more importantly, I'm representing Christ. Uh, so always try when speaking to be smiling and gracious to whoever I meet. And, and a lot of people just don't look at you and that. But we all should be like that. Every, we're all being witnesses for Christ. Sinclair Ferguson, in a sermon on the tongue, shares a story of a missionary in South Korea who went to a shop. He had to travel quite a distance uh, on a bus, about an hour, to get to this shop to get a briefcase fixed. And he left and said, can you fix it? And he says, yes, we can fix it. And will it be fixed by next Tuesday? Yes, it'll definitely be done the next Tuesday. And he said, now I've come an hour on the bus. I'll have to come an hour to get it back. Will it definitely be done on Tuesday? Yes, it'll be done on Tuesday. So he comes back. The following Tuesday, he goes into the shop, and the briefcase hasn't been fixed. And he absolutely loses it. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson says all of a sudden he became more fluent in South Korean uh, at that moment. He loses it. 
And in order to calm him down because he was so annoyed and so angry at what he was saying, uh, they invited him into the back of the shop to give him uh, a cup of tea or whatever the tea is out in Korea, ginseng or whatever it is out there. And then they ask him, what are you in? Because he was, he was uh, a Westerner. What are you in South Korea doing? I'm a missionary. And all of a sudden, he just felt so bad. Now, how were they going to listen to him talk about Jesus when he had just behaved that way? The sins of the tongue. Dishonesty, crudeness, flattery, gossip, criticism, diminishment, diminishment, worldliness. Then thirdly, the challenge of the tongue. Why is it so hard to tame the tongue? Why is it that we know the theory, we know how we should put talking, we know what we shouldn't be saying, and yet we end up doing it? Well, the first reason is the sin of the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jeremiah 17 and 9 speaks about the heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure. The reason why our tongues say what they say is because within our hearts, we are a sinful people. And our words reflect what we think inside. Our words reflect who we are inside. Sometimes people might come out with a swear word in the presence of my father, and they might say, oh, it just slipped out. And my father's comeback was, if it wasn't in, it wouldn't come out. And it's in there. The sin is in our hearts. That's why it's so hard for us to control our tongues. Our tongues reveal our hearts. You know what they said about a, a drunk man? Generally speaking, a drunk man is a very honest man. Uh, the drink reveals really so often what people think. The reserve goes away. Our tongues reveal what our hearts are like. Secondly, it's such a challenge because of the ways of the world. The world constantly wants to squeeze us into its mold, and that includes in speech. And in the workplace, it can be when the language is very colorful, when the language is unkind, when gossip and criticism is the, just the everyday menu, it's very easy just to be sucked into that and be part of that. It's the same if you're in sport, if in the changing room. Again, it's so easy just to be sucked into that and just to go along with that or in the classroom for younger people. And the ways of the world just want to carry us along with it. Third reason why it's so challenging is the temptation from Satan. James speaks there about how the tongue is set on fire by hell in verse 6 there of James 3. Uh, the devil has two main tactics, I believe, in regards to our tongues. Uh, one's the bellows, and the other's the arrow. You go to the blacksmith, and you think of the big bellows, and just keeping it, keeping it heated, keeping it uh, just the temperature hot. And the devil just constantly keeps reminding us about certain things against people, just keeps the temperature hot, so that eventually we'll just boil over. Or the arrows can be just a sudden wrong thought or sudden thing that comes into our mind, the sudden thing that then leads to us. And that's why the tongue is such a challenge. It's the three great enemies of the Christian. 
sin within, the world outside, and the devil out there. That's why the tongue is so difficult. It's the same of all sin. We face those three great enemies. And then finally, the control of the tongue. Let's try and think, then how do we respond to this? How can we fulfill the biblical command to seek to control the tongue? First of all is recognize its importance. James 1 and 26 says this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If we think we're religious but we cannot control the tongue, our religion is worthless. Now, this is not a secondary issue. This is a very, very important issue for all of us. So, how do we measure ourselves? How do we think we're doing as Christians? How do we think we're maturing as Christians? One of the most important things is the tongue. So, recognize it's important. Recognize this is not something we can ignore. Secondly, recognize your sin. Go through those lists of the sins of the tongue. Take time before the Lord to do that and recognize that you're where you are guilty. First John 1 and 10 says that he who says he's without sin, he deceives himself. Recognize where you have failed in this, where you continue to fail in this. Thirdly, repent of your sin. We think of Job who had to repent of speaking in ignorance about the Lord. He says, I, I spoke without understanding. We have to come to the Lord, and Lord with a genuine desire to turn away from the sin of the, our tongue. We need to repent of it. We need to come before the Lord with a genuine heart to do what Christ would want us to do. And then we need to, you need to tend to your heart. Because our tongue, what comes out of our tongues, it comes from the heart. So the way to correct our tongues is to deal with the heart. Proverbs 4 and 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. How we live, it flows from our hearts. How we will speak flows from our hearts. And so we need to fill our hearts with Christ. The way we control our tongues is that more and more of Jesus, more and more of His truth, more and more our experience of Christ would fill us within. And it's when we're filled with Jesus, it's then that our tongues will begin to be under control. And let's remember this, no person can control their tongue. You can't do that. You might as well try and control a wild lion than thinking you can control your tongue. But Christ can do it. And so we need to fill our hearts, our minds, our thinking with Jesus. This is just the, the basics of sanctification. How do we become holy? How do we become more like Jesus? It's by coming to His Word. It's letting His Word fill us and saturate our lives. It's coming to Him in prayer. It's coming and and seeking His grace, seeking to have more and more of Jesus. 
We spoke earlier about how bad company can pull us down. Good company, the company of Jesus, will lift us up. It's the person who goes into their workplace after coming out of the presence of Jesus and His Word is the person who will be able to control their tongue. It's that constant awareness of Jesus with us. It's that constant awareness of the Lord that is crucial. Fifthly, prepare to be a witness. And by this I mean that we need to think about every day when we go into our work, when we meet with family, when we go and do our everyday tasks of life, we need to pray that the Lord will prepare us and help us to be a witness. We need to go with the mindset of a missionary. If you're a builder, you go onto that building site first as a Christian and a witness for Jesus and a builder second. If you're a farmer, you go onto your farm and do your jobs as a Christian first and a farmer second. We go as missionaries to be a witness for Christ. We come to church. We just don't dander into church. We come to church to be an encouragement, to be there as a means to inspire our brothers and sisters on in their Christian life. We need to prepare in every situation to be a witness to Christian and non-Christian alike. And it's when we have that mindset of going to speak that which is good and wholesome and Christ-honoring, the rest will be put out of the way. Remember Jesus said about a, a demon being cast out of someone and it's left void and it goes and gets seven other demons and they come and the person's worse at the end than they were in the first place. We have to fill our lives with that which is right. We have to have that goal, that desire to be Christ-honoring. A quote there from Isaiah 50 and verse 4, which is being attributed to what Jesus would say. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Do you see what he's saying? He talks twice there about the one who is taught, that he will know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. So, he fills his mind, he fills his heart with the truth of God so that he can be an encouragement and a blessing to those he meets. It talks in Ephesians 4, we're looking at the last grow groups about let our conversations be seasoned with grace. Grace. You know you're going into a world out there which is hopeless and helpless. You're going to a world out there which is so ignorant of Jesus. And for many of these people that you will meet in your everyday life, their only opportunity of being in contact with grace that day is their conversations with you. What a challenge, but what an opportunity. Point F then is be watchful. Proverbs 13 says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Go out there realizing you will be tempted to trip up. You will be tempted to spin the truth. You will be tempted to gossip. You will be tempted to criticize. You will be tempted 
to be crude in your speech. Be watchful. Praying that the Lord will help you. And be watchful for when you see the thoughts coming to you. And realize what is happening to you. Realizing that the sin within you is trying to boil up. The world out there is trying to lead you straight. The devil is trying to tempt you. Be watchful for this. And then point G. Keep short accounts. And I mean that when we go to our quiet times, we need to think back over the previous day. We need to think back over our conversations. We need to confess where we have been guilty of diminishing people, where we've been too worldly, where we have indeed been gossiping in our conversations. We have to bring that to the Lord. Bring it to the Lord and seek His cleansing. Seek His forgiveness. And start again. Don't give up. Start again for the next day. Go to be a missionary again. And keep going in that cycle. It's only by God's grace that we will be able to do this. But we need to do this. We must do this. Christ deserves that the way we talk will be honoring to Him. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we have been guilty of sinning with our tongues. Father, forgive us for where we have spun the truth. Forgive us, Father, for where we have been crude, where we've sought to flatter people but didn't mean it, where we've gossiped, Lord, and and hurt people's reputation, where we've been critical to people and discouraging them, Lord, where we've diminished people and what they've been doing, and where we've been worldly, so caught up with everything in this world, but not being caught up with Jesus. But Father, we thank you that in Christ we can know the victory over sin. In Christ, the tongue can be tamed. In Christ, we can be those who are loving and gracious, pure and truthful. Oh, Father, those words of James really cut the heart about those who can't control their tongue, how their religion is worthless. Help us not to deceive ourselves, but by your grace may we be consistent in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.